Yeah, I, I think we need to take our health in our own hands and be inquisitive and ask questions and, and, and do some research. And that's, that's sort of what CrossFit is all about. Welcome to the 7220 Wadcast, where the content will always be constantly varied and at times highly intense, with as many guests as possible. Hi everybody and welcome back to the 7220 Wadcast. I'm Nicole Bleak and I'm here today with special guest Mike Kometz. Mike, thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure, Nicole. Always good to talk to you. So those of you who are newer to CrossFit 7220 may not even know this guy who hangs out over by the garage door, usually at our midday classes, but you should get to know him because Mike is the reason that CrossFit 7220 exists. So I'm excited to talk to you today about quite a few things, but I would like to start out by having you share the story of how you became interested in CrossFit and how CrossFit 7220 came about. Yeah, you know, I was trying to think of when it was, and I, I honestly think it was probably 10 years ago. And, you know, if, if you go even back before that, kind of my my background, um, I'd always been interested in health and fitness. Um, but then a couple of things came along in my life called two boys. And and you just, you know, like a lot of people, you you turn your uh, entire attention to raising your kids. And I forget how old they were, but we we left them and went on a trip to Lake Powell. And when the pictures came back of all these people in their swimsuits, I looked at this guy and I said, who's, who's that, who's that fat dude? And it was just sort of a staggering moment for me to see how, how my shape had deteriorated. And um, so I started working out again and, and, uh, you know, worked a little bit on diet and a little bit on nutrition, but, uh, I was doing the traditional old, you know, kind of weightlifting things and I'd get on the elliptical and, and it worked. I, you know, I lost weight and I got into I think pretty decent shape. And so a lot of years rolled by and I was kind of bored with it because you, you know, those workouts on Mondays, you do chest on Tuesdays, you do legs and, you know, you just kind of repeat that. And I was, uh, I was going to the, it used to be called the courthouse. What is it now? Laramie fitness. And I, and I got to know all the guys that were there at the same time and they'd been going for years. And I thought, man, I just, something needs to change because I'm just doing the same thing and I've plateaued. And I saw a young guy in there one day and he was running around doing these crazy looking pull-ups and doing air squats. And I said, what in the heck are you doing? And he said, I'm doing this new thing. It's called CrossFit and it's free. You just go to their website. And so I checked it out. And uh, the more, the more that I looked at it, the more interested I got in, uh, there was a video on there that probably drew a lot of the male audience. It was called Nasty Girls. And uh, if, if you ever looked at that, it was kind of the three original CrossFit ladies, uh, Annie Sakamoto and uh, Nicole Carroll and one other, and they were doing the Nasty Girls workout. And I was stunned that these young ladies could do the things that they were doing. And I thought, man, I got to try that. So uh, I'd pull up the workout of the day, the wad on uh, the CrossFit site. And I'd go down to the courthouse and, you know, immediately when I started, all the old guys that I'd worked out with for years started making fun of me. <laughs> it was okay. You know, I could take that. But but the thing that, that uh, occurred is what I had read about is that a classic, you know, typical gym, you just can't really do CrossFit. And I thought, well, I've got this office building on Grand. Um, you know, maybe I can just do a little remake on our conference room that we weren't really using and, and, uh, start doing it there. So I bought, you know, a few minimal things, a wall ball and put up a pull-up bar and before long, the guys upstairs and kind of the, you know, the original CrossFitters, Josh Durrell and Randall Six, Jason Geis came around. Um, we just would go down at, uh, you know, at lunch and we'd hit it and, and it was, you know, kind of the CrossFit camaraderie that we all feel now. We, we started experiencing that from day one. Mike Dorsum, who had been a longtime friend and, you know, former employee with us, um, got interested. And, you know, Mike, when he gets interested in something, he goes all in and, you know, he started looking at CrossFit, not just from coming and doing the workout, but looked at the science. And, you know, we all had an introduction to Greg Glassman, the CrossFit, CrossFit founder, uh, you know, looked at his videos and some of the early, early papers that he wrote, like what is CrossFit and fitness defined. And the more we did this, the, the more we liked it. And 
you know, a, a bunch of things happened. Like Randall Six, who had never lifted a weight in his life, just completely got absorbed with these workouts. And we couldn't really understand understand what was going on and uh, what was happening to us, but it was, it was fun and, and we really enjoyed it. And the word kind of got out. I don't know how. Um, I got a phone call one day from this young lady and she said, I've been doing CrossFit in my garage. I hear that you guys are doing it. I have a kettlebell. I'll bring it. And uh, that was Krista Minari. And so she showed up a few weeks go by and I got a call from another guy. It was Jeff Selden who had been throwing sandbags up against the side of his house because that's all he had to work out with. And so people started coming and the word got out. We bought a little more equipment and I'm, I'm actually sitting right now in the little conference room where we started all that. It's probably, I don't know, 20 by 30 feet. And we filled it up with equipment. And uh, before long, we filled it up with people. We'd have workouts at five in the evening and 20 or 30 people would just show up. And so we'd go in waves and had the music blaring and, you know, everybody was really having fun with it. So I thought maybe we ought to see if this thing will grow a little bit. And so on the property here at 1604 Grand, there was a big metal, kind of a metal garage. And I thought, well, I'm just going to replace that. And so the, the old metal garage got moved away and we built a building that became the first official CrossFit gym and uh, probably took four or five months to, to get it built. Meanwhile, we were expanding and um, I don't know if we had affiliated at that point, but I know Mike Dorsum, he, he, he began to get more and more interested kind of in the training side of things. And uh, so when we ultimately opened that gym, uh, we, we had workouts that were overbooked and, you know, pe people would, would sign up in our little homemade um, kind of Wadify system in the middle of the night so they could get, they could get into wads. And it was just kind of, kind of nuts the way it had taken off. And um, so we, we just let it continue to grow. But literally by the time that we were um, able to move into that new gym here on Grand, it was at capacity. And so we started looking around and you, you had come aboard about that time, Nicole, I, I can remember you showing up and I forget what, what the wada was, but, um, we thought, who is that lady that we don't know that's crushing this thing? And, <laughs> and uh, I think it probably grabbed you in, in the same fashion that it grabbed us. Right. Yeah, it did. You know, back then I was mainly running for exercise and strength training for me consisted of a few bad pushups after a jog. And I'd heard about CrossFit, so I was really excited when I found out there was an opportunity to try it out in Laramie. So that first week I went a couple days, and that Saturday was the kickoff for the first ever nutrition challenge at CrossFit 7220. I wasn't really interested in doing the challenge. I thought I had nutrition pretty much figured out. <laughs> Little did I know. But I really wanted a DEXA scan, so I signed up, and the kickoff workout that Saturday was Chelsea, which is an every-minute-on-the-minute version of Cindy. So it's five pull-ups, ten push-ups, fifteen squats, every minute for as long as you can maintain that. Of course, I was doing a scaled version with assisted pull-ups with a box or a band, and I have no doubt my push-ups and squats were horrendous. But my aerobic capacity was actually pretty good at that time, so it allowed me to go pretty far into that workout doing that scaled version. So the volume was pretty high. Yeah. And I have never been more sore in my life. I've run marathons that have made me sore, but nothing compared to how sore I was after that workout. Yeah. And, and for years, if even still today, we talk about how sore we are. Right. And, uh, you know, but, but, but you mentioned the, the nutrition challenge, you know, as I read more about CrossFit, um, you know, the whole concept of the Barry Sears zone diet came up and there were just so many people that talked about how you can CrossFit and CrossFit and get healthier and make progress, but you don't really make progress until you get your diet right. What really prompted us to kick off that nutrition challenge and that first one, or even maybe the first two years were entirely zone based, I believe. And, and the results that we had from the winners, they, they just blew me away. They blew everybody away. I remember talking to Derek Smith, who is the head of kinesiology and health. Uh, Derek and Marcy have been longtime friends of CrossFit and participants. And he's the one that lined up the DEXs. And 
He said, well, how long are you doing this nutrition challenge for? And I said, oh, we're going to run it for six weeks. And he said, we'll do a before and after, but you won't see much change, you know, in, in bone marrow density and things like that. You'll get a little weight loss. Well, six weeks go by, people get their post scan. And he called me and he goes, I don't know what you guys are doing, but it's working. <laughs> Keep doing it. Because the change that he saw over a six week period, you know, in, in his academic background, he'd just never seen anything like that. And I think that we had the right recipe of the, you know, the right fitness regime, regimen and the, uh, and the right nutritional plan. And, and so I, I, I completely bought into that. You know, I was, I was a fellow zoner. I, I followed it pretty religiously. Um, when I, I, I tend to go all in on things, it's probably a, a, a character fault, but, um, I, I got very rigorous about it, drove my wife crazy. And, uh, saw the same, same kind of results. And when you combine the two, when you get the nutrition right, which now we all know that it's probably 70% of the health battle and uh, the fitness part is 30. But when you get the nutrition right and you CrossFit, um, you, you become a very, very fit human being. There's just no other way to put it. And uh, that, that for me, you know, not just for myself, which I really enjoyed, but to watch all of these other people going through that, it, it was an extremely fulfilling experience for me. And I think it's, it's what really caused all of us to step back and say, let's, let's take this thing to the next level of growth. And uh, we ended up buying what was the old Laramie Athletic Club, you know, a lot of history there. And, uh, you know, a lot of people had, had visited that facility and had familiarity with it. And it was what I would call a distressed property. And uh, we, we moved in you know, kind of as we started a remodel and everybody that was um, around back then remembers the old, really crappy carpeting that we were all rolling around on. And uh, we had that uh, get together, that barbecue. I think it was Memorial Day, wasn't it? Where we, we did a demolition and just completely gutted that building. And I thought, what a wonderful group of people that would give up their Memorial Day weekend and, and come and, you know, waller around in the dust and the and uh, all the debris and, and make this thing happen. But I think it just, it was a testament to how the community of CrossFit really worked and, and people wanted to do it because they liked the people and they liked what, you know, what the program was doing for them. And uh, so we worked on that facility, oh gosh, nonstop for a year or so. And then, uh, you know, I've, I've always been one that tends to, uh, uh, not ask for permission and then beg for forgiveness. So we didn't have a building permit. You, you remember that the city came in and took a look around and they shut us down, which uh, really lit a fire under us. And, you know, Marty, uh, thank goodness, brought his crew in and a lot of other people. And we accelerated the construction and got it, you know, back in uh, operation, I think in a few weeks. And, and uh, man, we were off and running and, and the rest is history. And you know, every day CrossFit does to me what it did on day one. I look at the wad, I get a lump in my throat, get butterflies, go do it, hate it while I'm doing it. And afterwards, I think, God, that is so good. I'm going to do it the rest of my life. Yeah, that feeling is something you just can't replicate with a workout video or on an elliptical machine. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so effective so as you talked about the renovation of the building, it really took me back to that first little garage at 16th and Grand, and there was no bathroom there. And then all those phases of the remodel of the new place, it's just crazy to think about now. We would work out in one half of the main gym while the construction crew worked behind plastic on the other half. It was loud and dusty. I remember coaching and having to pause while the jackhammer was on. I also remember at one point we were still using the old bathrooms and the ceiling fell in on Toby while he was in on one of the stalls. <laughs> so for most people who didn't take that journey with us, it's pretty amazing to think we went from a 20 by 30 conference room to maybe a 900 square foot garage where we thought we had plenty of room. And today we're filling up a 7,500 square foot commercial building for eight plus hours a day. The incredible thing is to look back at how it really was just a labor of love on your part that grew organically. You know, we didn't have ads in the paper or commercials on the radio. People tried it, they loved it, and they saw results. So they started inviting their family and friends. 
to come be a part of this worthwhile program and amazing community of people. And that's still what happens today. So again, as we look back, we'll always be so grateful that you stumbled upon CrossFit and started CrossFit 7220, really just to be able to share it with as many people as you could. And then you kept moving it forward to accommodate growth and change. So we know we wouldn't be here today without your passion and vision, and we're just really thankful for that. So your mention of the nutrition aspect of CrossFit We can talk about how that has also evolved. There are similarities with what we teach and preach today to that very first nutrition challenge when we were counting zone blocks. Your nutrition journey is especially interesting. As you mentioned, you really do dive into things 100%, which obviously contributes to your success in a lot of areas of your life. But you've told me recently that nutrition has become even more important than reps in the gym and that if you have your nutrition dialed in, the workouts are kind of secondary. And although maintaining fitness is important, uh, taking a few days off from the gym is really no big deal as long as you're eating well. Yeah, no doubt. And and it really has been an evolution for me and, uh, you know, to get to get where I am, am today. But you know, I'm, I'm the old guy in the gym. I'm 62. And, um, the, the thing that has really crept up on me is that you can't go in there and hit it at the same level that, that the younger people do, you know, weight wise, reps wise, uh, number of days wise. And I think that, uh, this, this COVID break, if you want to call it, that has probably been good for me because I have, uh, I've worked out less frequently and I think I've found that my body just feels a little bit better. Um, so I think that the, the nutrition is just the, the evolution of, of health for me. But, uh, you know, we, we, we started and, and we zoned really hard for a number of years. And um, the, the kind of the next thing to come along, which was, uh, I think, a transition from zone was just to count your macros. And the same kind of thing. And remember, you and I looked at that really hard and we did it for a while. And, um, you know, it was, for me, it was a lot of work to, to try to hit, hit the level of macros that I needed to. And, uh, it had a, a really high, high volume of carbohydrate for me. And I did that for a while. I felt pretty good in the gym actually, but, uh, I, I decided that I'd go and get a DEXA scan kind of outside of the nutrition challenge. So I asked Marcy if she would give me one and we went over and we got one. And I think I'd been hovering at about 13% body fat for a, a few years. You know, I, I was a little higher, but then through zone and CrossFit, I dropped it down and I got that scan and it was 22%. And it kind of freaked out. And I, I talked to Derek Smith and he said, Mike, you're getting older. You're on that, you're on that plane downward. You know, it's going to be okay. You're super healthy. And I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't accept that. And, uh, you know, part, part of my, my ethos is that I think as you age, especially you just need to be lean. You, you need to continue to work on muscle mass, but it's going to diminish, but it, it, all things being equal, you, you need to, to maintain, you know, a, for your age, a low level of body fat. So, uh, I kind of reverted to the ketogenic diet, which, um, you know, for me was, uh, a change of probably, you know, minimizing fruit. I'd always been a pretty good protein guy, a meat eater. And, uh, I, I would maximize on the, on the leafy greens. And, um, I, I did that for, for quite a while and, and leaned out and I started reading more about, you know, the macronutrients and the micronutrients and, and what your needs really are. And, uh, the thing that became pretty apparent to me is that your, your, your body does not require carbohydrate it's one of the macronutrients that is, that is kind of optional. And, you know, that's, that's really uh, proven science. And so I started thinking about it, you know, I enjoyed vegetables, fruit was okay. I'd kind of been off sugar completely for a long time. So I didn't, I didn't have any cravings. So I thought maybe I'll just try this carnivore thing. I, I think you were the one that, that brought it up because one of our former um, members, was it Austin? Yeah. Austin Cliff knew a doctor who was eating carnivore. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we were all laughing about it. He said, I, Austin said, I think I'm going to try carnivore. And we, you know, we, we got a big laugh about it, but you know, it's things like that, that pique, pique my curiosity. And so 
I got out on Twitter and found some good people to follow and did some reading. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll just try it for a while. And uh, it was not a hard transition for me, to be honest. And and so uh, I just started eating, you know, mostly meat and then transitioned to all meat. And uh, the, the thing that occurred, I, I guess a couple things, I, I noticed no difference in performance in the gym. As a matter of fact, I started fasting through breakfast. So by the time I would come into the gym at 11, uh, I no longer had this kind of full and, and weighty feeling in my stomach, which was good. Probably not a not directly a carnivore thing, more the fasting. But um, eating eating only meat left me feeling pretty darn good. And so I decided to continue it for a while. And, uh, you know, I guess to fast forward to, to today, I am pretty much an all meat guy, uh, pretty much a hundred percent carnivore. You know, I, I can't say that I am in fact, uh, diligently a hundred percent. I don't get all wrapped up in it. If we go out to eat somewhere and there's some, something, you know, that really appeals to me, like a big bowl of French fries, I'll eat it without guilt because I kind of know that the tendency for me now and, and the desires that I have for food kind of bring me back to, uh, all, all protein products. And so I really haven't skipped a beat in terms of, uh, you know, not having any fiber through vegetables, uh, you know, not having any of the uh, micronutrients that, you know, are found in fruit and, and vegetables. So uh, I, I, I see no need to change. Um, I feel I feel very healthy. I, you've, you've given me a hard time for not having a CAC <laughs> test done, which I intend to do. Um, but, you know, if if the uh, research out there is any indication my my uh, cac score should come in e- extremely low um you know i don't worry about fat i kind of have the the mantra that i read that i like that says um eat meat not too little mostly fat and that's kind of how i i lead my nutritional life these days so going back 10 plus years what was your diet like back then was it just a lot of processed foods a lot of carbs yeah, and I was traveling a lot, so you you go to a, a restaurant and just I didn't even think about what I ate, and uh, you know, and, and it creeps up on you. You know, I think you know that's the old the old um, study that Gary Taubes ran. He said if you eat if you count calories and you eat one gummy bear's worth of calories more than you should, that equates to fifty pounds that you're going to put on over the next twenty years, and. Uh, I mean, I, I was way in excess of that. I'm sure I just didn't even didn't even think about it. So I think my my first um, change that I made, and back in those days, it's kind of what everybody did. I went low fat. What 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 I was really doing though, I think, was was giving up a lot of the processed food that that I'd been eating, and uh, you know, I think that transition. I probably was a calories guy at that time, and and uh, you know, tried to minimize what I was eating, which now. It doesn't even cross my mind as to how many calories I might have in a day. I just eat until I'm satisfied and uh, call it good. I love that. And I think it would be great if everybody could get to a place where they could really listen to their bodies and eat more intuitively. I think it's also important to note that these dietary changes for you were gradual and happened over the course of years. You didn't go from eating a lot of processed food and eating at restaurants one day to then intermittent fasting and eating a carnivore diet overnight. I also wanted to explain to listeners why the transition to a zero carb diet was not very difficult. You were already what we call metabolically flexible, meaning your body was trained to switch over from utilizing glucose as energy to using stored fat. This burning of fat is referred to as ketosis, which is where the ketogenic diet gets its name. And ketosis occurs when there's limited access to glucose and our body's glycogen stores are depleted. And this can happen when you are fasting, and or when your carbohydrate intake is low. Uh, The name ketosis actually comes from the acid produced as your body breaks down fat. So reducing your carbohydrate intake by eating keto or low carb led you to become what we call fat adapted. And this means your body is able to tap into those body fat stores for energy. 
When we are not fat adapted, the body relies on quick access fuel from glucose from the foods we eat or the glycogen stored in our cells and muscles and liver. So when we haven't had food for a few hours, our body may send out a distress signal called hunger because it hasn't been trained to look into those fat stores that it already has. Most people are actually not fat adapted. They are what we call sugar burners, meaning their bodies run off glucose for energy. And this is mainly because the standard American diet contains such high carb processed foods. And when the supply of these fat burning carbs dips down too low, we experience that low blood sugar where we feel lightheaded and kind of foggy in the brain and hangry. It's really just a sugar crash. And to stop these symptoms, the body needs more carbs. So that's when we reach for the granola bar or the sugary drink or the handful of pretzels. And then our body has to handle this big surge of glucose. And so it has to release more insulin, which is the hormone that helps get sugar out of the bloodstream and into our cells. And when your insulin levels stay elevated, uh, we become insulin resistant which can lead to obesity, type 2 diabetes, and all those other disease processes, uh, which is why the world is in such poor health. So that was a bit of a tangent, but hopefully it explains how one can still have energy without consuming a lot of carbohydrate. Now, before we get into more details about your diet, we also want to emphasize that there are different dietary approaches that work for different people. And I purposely followed Kat's episode with this one to emphasize this. And if you didn't listen to Kat, she told us about her whole foods plant-based diet where she has eliminated all animal products. And now we're talking about a complete 180 with you eating the total opposite where you eat all animal products and no plants. And both you and Kat are very fit and healthy, which again proves there is no one diet that is ideal for everyone. With that said, there is still that one constant that holds true for everyone, and that is a healthy diet must include a decrease or elimination of processed foods and sugars. And remember, if we can reduce these high carb, high sugar processed foods, we can train our bodies to burn its own fat and we won't get so ravenous when we haven't been eating for a couple hours. Yeah, and I think if you commit to chopping out the sugar, you know, seed oils is another thing. And, uh, and the processed foods, you're, you're, you're going to be just fine. You know, I, I really enjoyed Kat's interview. I, she's really smart and, uh, you know, she's gone a direction that I, I couldn't go. I, I was doing the math after her, uh, podcast. I thought, okay, if I, if I want to get the same amount of protein in a day that I do from the big old ribeye that I eat once a day, what do I have to eat? And it equated to, I think, seven cups of, uh, kidney beans. To get the same amount of protein, and I thought, man, that would that would tear me up. I don't that that would just not be feasible. And for me, you know, maintaining not an excessive level of protein, but a level of protein as I get older that will help me maintain muscle mass is kind of the most important thing nutritionally that I that I want to continue to focus on because the science is pretty clear there. As you age, that's just such a base requirement for you to maintain you know, muscle mass, bone density, and, and things like that. So um, I, I guess maybe just another another tick in the box for, for doing the whole carnivore approach. Yeah, so I don't think you'll find too many people that argue protein is important, but there are critics out there who will question the nutrient density of the carnivore diet. And it's tough to really know the long-term effects since there's not a lot of long-term studies out there yet. There is a fair amount of anecdotal evidence of folks who say carnivore diet has helped them with weight loss, some who claim that their autoimmune conditions have improved or even been cured, others who experience better mental clarity, just to name a few. Yeah, no, no doubt. And you know, one, one of our heroes, Jason Fung, who I think really spiked our interest in uh, the whole arena of intermittent fasting, you know, he, he maintains that he, he doesn't care what your diet is, uh, whether it, it is, uh, you know, vegan, vegetarian, carnivore, if you get it right, you're going to be fine. And, you know, that kind of, kind of leads into the whole intermittent fasting thing. But I think, I think for me, when I started looking at, at carnivore, I thought if I were to strip my diet down 
and eat only one or two things that would sustain life, would sustain nutrition, what would it be? Well, you, you can't do that with plant-based, right? You, the, the thing that Kat made very evident, and I think correctly, is that you've got to have the right balance of things, uh, you know, especially in terms of the different proteins that you have going into your body to, to make sure that you get it right. But, you know, if you look at the nutritional profile of a ribeye, it's kind of got everything. You know, it, it, it's really everything that you need to not just sustain life, but to sustain a very, you know, a, a very healthy and, and, and growing lifestyle that uh, you, you can build on. So I, I think that was one of the things I wanted to try is just to say, what if we do this? What's going to happen? Yeah, a bit of an experiment. Before I get into my next thought, I just wanted to mention the hero you referred to is Jason Fung. He's a Canadian nephrologist who is known for his research and treatment of type 2 diabetes. He's actually reversed it in patients using intermittent fasting and a low-carb dietary approach. He basically thinks that the conventional treatment of diabetes is ineffective because we're pumping insulin to people that are already insulin resistant and we're just making them sicker. So it's a really great book. The Obesity Code, The Diabetes Code is another one, and I'll put a link to those in the notes. So you feel you're getting sufficient nutrients from your ribeye. Kat did tell us that the only micronutrient not present in plant foods is vitamin B12, which she does supplement with. But the carnivore critics will claim that there are many micronutrients lacking in meat, such as vitamin A, vitamin E, unless you eat nose to tail. And that refers to eating organ meats like liver, and some carnivores even consume the heart, the lungs, the brain, the kidney, the spleen. Do you include those things in your diet? You know, I have no doubt that, that those things are, are really good to do, but I just can't do it. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. And, uh, you know, if you kind of poke around Twitter with uh, the, the other carnivores out there, you'll find people who love that and, you know, more power to them. I'm sure they're getting things that would, would be a benefit to me, but, uh, you know, I just, I just can't do it. Then there's also carnivores who claim they love to eat raw meat, which I can't even think about. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I'm assuming that's not part of your diet, but do you then supplement with any kind of vitamins? No, no. And you know, I, I, I did vacillate back and forth between um, taking fish oil and not taking it. Um, I, I kind of have this general sense that says the ribeye that you buy at Costco is probably not as good as the ribeye that you get that is grass-fed, grass-finished. And I do some of that. I, I, I order some stuff online. Um, but if you, I mean, I kind of know the the landscape of the the ribeye around the world. That if you go to Costco, it, the price went up, but it used to be ten bucks a pound. Out at uh, from Allen at the butcher block, he charged fourteen, and then the uh, grass fed, grass finished is more like twenty five or thirty. And so, from a, a cost point of view, it's just really hard to to do that all the time. But I'll I'll weave some of that in, and I, I kind of think that I'm probably um, omega three light. Because what the the uh, studies suggest is that uh, because it's it's not grass finished, that the omega three omega six balance isn't the best. So I'll I'll supplement some omega three once in a while, but um, I'm not diligent about that. I I tend to fall off the train and go without it for a while. And honestly, I don't feel much much if if at all any different. But at the same time, I do realize that these things need to play out over the course of a fairly lengthy period of time. So you can't do a two-week fish oil study and expect to have your body feel much different. But for me, a lot of it is just how how I feel uh, on an ongoing basis. You know, I, I've seen things change on my body, you know, skin-wise for the better. Um, you know, every everything about my lifestyle, um, you know, seems to be working working very well. Uh, I, I, I have a breakdown most evenings and have a little bit of red wine, have a square of, uh, 95% chocolate, but I, but the thing that I, that I work to do, and it's not actually that much work. Cause I think I've just not done it for such a long time is just stay away from sugar. Now, if I have something that is sugary, a, you know, a bite of a piece of pie or something like that, it is so sweet that I can hardly st stand to eat it. Yeah, I'm sure anything that sweet sends your body into quite a shock. 
but you've learned that we can over time decrease our body's dependence on those overly sweet or processed foods our cravings for them decrease and as I mentioned earlier our body learns to stop relying on them for energy as well yeah and I you know I am of the belief you know after reading a bit that you really want your body to be fueled by ketones it's it's really the preferred source of energy and you know I'm no expert but there's more and more uh, study data that's coming out that talks about the benefits of that and you know there are now links to Alzheimer's and uh, you know all all sorts of autoimmune things that you know they're not cured but but the uh, conditions become much less through a, a, a long-term ketogenic diet and you know I, I kind of have a more of an observational thing than than anything but in the gym the thing that I've noticed is that like you said, if the if the workout, and they're all high intensity, but if it's a shorter duration, I don't do as well. But if if you hand me something that is twenty or thirty minutes, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of suck for the first little bit, but I feel something kick in, and I, I think it's what you said. You know, I don't I don't have the the immediate levels of glucose in my body that are going to contribute to that uh, you know that short term initial uh, burst, but uh, string it on for a little while and I start to feel really good. Uh, you know, Jeff Selden, who was one of our early members and, and a really smart guy, you know, he looked at a lot of the science of nutrition. He said, you know, during the open, if you've got a five to seven minute wad, why don't you pop a couple glucose tabs right before you do it? He said, I'll, I'll bet you that you would be able to come out, you know, really, really smoking on that. And I, you know, I might try that this October and just, just see what happens. But yeah, I think I think overall to have your body in a highly ketogenic state for most, if not all of the time, is a, a very healthy way to be. So you've probably been this way for the better part of five years, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Well, anyone can look at you and see that you are extremely fit and healthy. And at age 62, you look more like you're 42. You say you feel great. But if anyone needs proof that carbohydrates are not necessary for energy and performance, Mike has been a master's qualifier in the CrossFit Games at least twice, which means he is placed in the top 200 in the world. So we are amongst one of the fittest master's athletes in the world, which is pretty phenomenal. And you found what works for you in this stage of your life. It doesn't mean that this might not change as your nutrition continues to evolve. Just like Kat may find as she ages, she may want to include some animal protein in her diet. Uh, so a few other things that others might be wondering about. Do you mainly eat red meat? You keep mentioning a ribeye, but do you also eat eggs, fish, and chicken? You know, after, after kind of sampling everything and then um, just looking into the kind of the whole life cycle of an animal, I've, I've kind of arrived at a point where ruminants are what I like and more specifically cow. And, and so I, I had a, over the fourth, I had a chicken breast and I told Vicki, it's the first chicken I've had in like two years. And, and it's not that I don't like it. It's not that I don't think that it's, you know, I don't, I don't think it's bad for you. You know, I, I, I do think about what the animal has eaten and chickens pretty much are raised on corn and, you know, they're, they're not raised unless you find one. They're not raised in the pasture. Most cows are grass-fed, at least to the point where they go off to the feedlot and they are grain-finished unless, you know, you're buying meat that um, is completely grain or completely grass-fed. But, uh, you know, I've settled on beef and I, I've settled on ribeye. I probably eat a ribeye or short ribs. You know, the fattier, the better. The fat is what is, is really satiating. Um, and, and if I, uh, if I have a meal that involves a big old ribeye, if I fast all day, which I do probably three, four, four times a week, um, I'll, I'll be relatively hungry. I'll eat quite a lot. And, and after that, I'll think to myself that that's the last ribeye I'm ever going to eat that. I mean, I'm so full and it sounds really bad to have another one, but by two o'clock the next day, the first thing food wise it pops into my mind is, is another ribeye. It's kind of, it's just kind of crazy the, the way that that works. You know, you would think that I would crave a bowl of ice cream or, you know, Vicki will say, don't you want some of these? I mean, it's peach time. You know, it's Western slope peach time. Don't you want a peach? 
it doesn't even sound good to me. So you never get cravings for fruits, vegetables, any kind of carbs? No, I never crave them. I'll, I'll have, you know, I'll have some greens once in a while. We'll have Brussels sprouts occasionally or something like that. But I don't, I don't really have cravings for anything, you know, pretty easily from supper to supper. So a 24 hour fast. And uh, occasionally I'll go longer than that. I mean, uh, the, the whole intermittent fasting thing, as you know, is, is really interesting. And there's a lot of science behind why we ought to do that to our bodies. And maybe that would be a topic for another uh, podcast. Yes, an intermittent fasting episode is in the works and coming very soon. And we'll take a much deeper dive into intermittent fasting for sure. So you mentioned your wife, Vicki, and I'm sure a lot of people wonder if eating this way is challenging socially. Is it tough in social situations or with your family to only eat meat and to not eat other things with them? I think if, if we still had kids at home, it probably wouldn't work all that well. Um, I, I remember when I was kind of in the early stages of wanting to change my nutrition, I can remember the boys saying, no, not chicken again, anything but chicken. And I think it would be like that now. But, uh, you know, with Vicki, I think that she's she sort of tolerates all of my weird things that I do. And, um, you know, she eats healthy. But if we if we have a ribeye in the evenings, you know, she'll have a helping. But then she'll accompany that with, you know, her some vegetables or a salad or some fruit or things like that. So um, I don't she, she hasn't uh, you know, she hasn't bitten off the whole carnivore thing the way that I have for sure. Well, it sounds like Vicky's been a very good sport. Yeah, she she really has been. So let's move from the lovely topic of your wife, Vicky, to the not-so-lovely topic of what this diet might do to the gut. There is no fiber in meat, and people are probably thinking, how in the world do you survive without fiber, and do you poop? You know that... Yeah, and it, it it does it does affect you. I can't remember. I think I transitioned into it, so I didn't really feel much. But you might remember. I think it was earlier in the year. Joe Rogan went carnivore for a month, and and he was posting on Twitter how it was just tearing him up. He had diarrhea, and then after a week, it went away. And then they started showing pictures of him in the gym, and he just got shredded. I don't think he kept it up, but I think his experiment uh, was that it was a change in his body, so it kind of messed him up. But after that, he found it to be uh, a, a pretty positive thing. But no, I it, it's um, you know it, as far as the fiber goes, I'm, I'm I'm regular. You don't you don't have to poop four or five times a day. In general, I you know I I don't, I don't really understand the science behind the lack of fiber with an all meat diet. Uh, there's a lot out there if if somebody wanted to delve into it, but. I think that, you know, if, if the lack of fiber was an issue for me and other, other carnivores who have been doing this for years and years, it would, it would surface and there would be some problems. Um, I think I had sent you a while ago, a link to a couple he's in his sixties and she, I think she's 45. I forget what her name is, but for the last 20 years, all they've eaten are ribeyes and they eat, you know, three a day and their kids eat them and, and they don't really work out. But if you look at them, they're, they're like the picture of health. They look, they look terrific. So thing, anecdotal things like that. And you're right. There hasn't been a lot of, um, you know, randomized controlled trial study done with carnivore or, or for a lot of nutrition. Right. But, uh, those that have gone carnivore, uh, the results that you see are, are pretty staggeringly good. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I'll stumble upon articles or podcasts with surgeons and other highly educated individuals who are in the medical or scientific community, and they have researched it, and they claim they are in excellent health eating carnivore. And some even say that because of modern agricultural practices and the industrialization of food, that we don't get as many nutrients from plants like we used to. I heard the other day that I think you have to eat seven oranges to get the equivalent nutrients of eating one orange 80 years ago. And and then there's the potential of plants actually being toxic due to chemicals and pesticides used in the food industry. Yeah, one of my favorites is um, there's a, a gal. She's actually a nutritional psychologist. Her name is Georgia Ede. I think I've sent sent you some stuff uh, that, that she's written. Really smart and and just look. She's interested in the science. You know, she's she doesn't carry a lot of bias, but 
I, I like the way she looks at it. She she thinks of plants as the only defense mechanism that they have, since they can't run or fight, are chemicals. So you know she can walk you through all of the toxins that plants have available that are ingested by humans. And, and granted, I mean, most of us eat the, eat them and are not affected by them, but she makes a pretty good case for um, the necessity or the non-necessity of, of plants and fruits in, in the human diet. I mean, there's a lot of, of good information out there, but, but on the other hand, there, there's a lot of really good, you know, vegetarian and vegan information out there. And, you know, I, I've never been one to disparage someone for the way that they eat. I mean, it, it is what it is. You just you just have to figure out what works best for you, and do it and and stick with it. And you know, I'm I'm just pretty pretty happy with the the way things are going with my diet. And I'll get in there and get a CAC scan, and you know, I get my blood work done uh, once a year or so, and it's all good. I know there's people who try low carb or keto and claim they don't sleep very well. How's your sleep? Yeah, the the biggest disruptor I think to sleep is alcohol, and uh, you know I I really enjoy having a, a glass of wine, and I've 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 worked to taper that off so it's not two or three glasses in an evening, because I think one of the things about this carnivore diet is that it makes you hypersensitive to things. So if I exceed kind of my quota on a glass of wine, even by a little bit, I'll wake up at 2 a.m. And it's uncanny. It's not 2.05. It's not 1.55. It's, it's 2 a.m. And I'll lay there for an hour. Um, and and if, I, if I don't do that, if I either don't have anything to drink or, or um, you know, kind of keep it really at a low volume, then I, I sleep fine, you know good six hours solid, maybe seven. That, that's really all I've ever done. I'm, I'm probably sleeping better now than I have in the past. So one more thing we probably should mention before we wrap up that I'm sure people are wondering about is that meat contains a lot of saturated fat and cholesterol. And for years we were taught not to eat a lot of red meat or to avoid eggs and that Cheerios was the food that led to better heart health. <laughs> uh, now scientists are discovering that they had a lot of things wrong back then, and more recent studies have actually shown that high intakes of saturated fat and cholesterol are not strongly linked to a higher risk of heart disease, as they previously believed. And that high cholesterol does not necessarily indicate poor heart health. There's a lot of people who have low inflammation in their bodies and their cholesterol is higher. The CAC that you referred to a couple times for listeners, that is a coronary artery calcium scan, which is a test that measures the amount of calcium in the walls of the heart's arteries. And this test came about because the cholesterol numbers in blood work are not telling us the whole story of people's health. In other words, there are people walking around with high cholesterol and perfectly healthy hearts, but then there's also a lot of people whose blood work is within normal ranges, but they actually have a pretty diseased heart and may not even know it. Uh, my cholesterol actually runs a bit high. My HDL or good cholesterol is high, which is part of that number. And my triglycerides are low and I have normal blood pressure, so I wasn't overly concerned. But I did choose to get some in-depth blood work, which actually divides out the LDL. There's good and bad LDL particles, and it showed that my bad LDL was actually pretty low. And then I also chose to get one of these coronary artery calcium scans, just so I would know for sure. Yeah, and your uh, your your CAC was zero. That's the best that it gets, right? So, even even though your LDL is running high, the, the real peak at your heart says that you don't have any any problems whatsoever. And the way I like to think about that uh, CAC test is that it's actually looking at the disease in your heart. It's sort of like if you run a diagnostic on your uh, the engine in your car and it tells you you have something that might be wrong. That's a lot different than having the head of your car off, looking at the valve, seeing the problem. So the CAC score is really seeing the problem versus the diagnostic, which is all of the blood work that you get done. So what, what you had and what everybody should have done is the, is the CAC. And you should provide a, maybe a link to uh, the Irish Heart Disease Awareness Institute that Ivor Cummins 
uh, administers. It, it's a real eye-opener eye if you look at, at his work and what he's discovered and um, the, the need to have that. And, and the, the movie called The Widowmaker is also something that is, is pretty shocking as well. Yeah, and just one more note on the CAC. It's a very simple, quick, and painless scan. You don't have to be injected with dyes or anything. And for listeners who are local, I did have mine done in Cheyenne because at the time Laramie was not yet equipped to administer the test, but they said it was in the works, so it might be available now at IMH, and if not, it probably will be very soon. But I would really encourage everyone to look into getting one of these CAC scans because as we explained, blood work just doesn't give us all the information we need. No, no, it really doesn't. And I have some some personal um, cases where people have done that. Their blood work comes back. The cholesterol looks good. They weren't obese. They're what we call tofi, right? Thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And uh, they've died of massive coronaries. And, you know, with, with the Widowmaker, the first symptom that you have a problem is death. There's nothing that leads up to it. You know, you go to bed and you don't wake up and presumably you were very healthy. And I think that's why the, you know, this, this whole notion of relying too much on, on the, the blood work for, you know, for driving your lifestyle. I mean, that, that's important, but it should really be accompanied by the, the CAC. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I totally agree. And even though we went down a few rabbit holes there, I think we can conclude that whether it's fitness, nutrition, or just health in general, we need to always be proactive in finding what our individual needs are. Yeah, I think we need to take our health in our own hands and be inquisitive and ask questions and, and, and do some research. And that's, that's sort of what CrossFit is all about, taking your health in your own hands and and uh, getting the nutrition part right, do what's right for you and do what you, you feel the best doing and lead a long and healthy life. Yes, and that's exactly why we post different versions and scales of the same workout. And then we also have coaches who help individuals tailor those workouts, maybe even more to fit their specific needs so that everyone can find what works best for them and what will give them the most benefit. That's exactly right. Well, Mike, thank you again for chatting today. I think many things we discussed will spark a few really interesting conversations with folks at the gym. And thank you again for bringing CrossFit into my life and the lives of so many in our community. You know, we didn't even mention that you also spearheaded our Healthy Kids RX program with Gretchen and I. Yeah. And that program, again, is another thing that would likely not exist without you. So we just really want to thank you and can't thank you enough. Oh, of course. And, uh, you know, we were doing CrossFit when CrossFit wasn't cool, right? It, there was nothing like it. And the the entire evolution of the gym and, and you know, our relationship, uh, you know, with the trainers and everything and, and watching the members come day in and day out and sweat and toil away, that it's just been nothing but a labor of love for me. And And as you know, I've kind of backed off in terms of my involvement, but that doesn't mean that I have less interest at all in CrossFit or CrossFit 7220. It's still, you know, a big part of my life. I love going there every day. And what you guys are doing now, you know, with the gym and, and branching out into some other areas, nutrition wise and, and workout wise is, is great. It's, it's kind of like the, the obvious next step. Well, we hope to continue sharing CrossFit with others for a very long time. So thank you, Mike. Thanks for doing this, Nicole. It was good to reminisce a little bit and think about those early days and to catch up too on all of the uh, nutrition science that's going on.